I'm excited to be here. Church is so weird. Like, people just show up in this room and we start talking about the Lord. It's so cool. Like, it's so normal, but yet so special. Like, hey, you're all in chairs right now. Look at all of you. And we're just going to be here and talk about the Bible and, like, pray that God, like, is just magnificent, omnipresent, omniscient being would just, like, fill our hearts. And what's crazy is I think he's going to. It's crazy what we're doing here in church. It's awesome. All right. I want to let you know about a few things that we're doing as a church, okay? Today is a special day. We're beginning Fast Forward. Who was here last year for Fast Forward? Anybody here? All right. A few hands. All right. Shout out. All right. So we're beginning this thing called Fast Forward. Forward. It's a really fun time where we come together, and, and the whole goal is just for, for the body of ethos, the family of ethos, um, to come together uh, in one mind, one spirit, and simply to seek the Lord, like just to be in the presence of God, to seek his heart, okay? And when you came in, you saw these green pieces of paper, all right? Everyone got one of these? They were in a chair? All right. We're kicking it off tonight with a 24-hour prayer vigil, all right? Um, just with the, the heart of this is that we can get on the same page spiritually, that we can be praying towards the same thing as a church. So starting at five o'clock at the cannery upstairs, there'll be signs and people helping you get there. Um, every hour, there's gonna be a group of people in a room praying on behalf of our church and the world. And you can read through the different topics that we'll be praying through. Um, it's gonna be really, really cool. So if you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're like, I'm feeling pretty spunky, let's go to the cannery and pray. There will be spunky, we still say that? No. Yeah, all right, spunky. You're feeling spunky at 3 a.m., all right? And you wanna go pray. There's gonna be people at the cannery praying at that moment. If you're looking at this like, man, I've got an exam that I'm not gonna study for, but I can't make it, and uh, I won't be there. Take this home with you at any point. Just pray. If, if you're looking at your watch, it's like it's 11 p.m., you're about to go to sleep, you can pray for our local church family and know that our church is praying for that at that hour, okay? So take that with you. This will be helpful for you, all right? Uh, secondly, um, we're going to have a prayer guide for all 30 days of our fast, all right? That's going to be online at ethoschurch.org. I want you to repeat after me, ethoschurch.org. Ethos okay, because I said it like 20 times at the nine, and I want to dodge that this time. So that website's going to be big, all right? That's where you're going to find our 30-day prayer guide, but it's also where you're going to find a lot of blogs that our staff has written to answer any questions, maybe some tensions you're feeling. Maybe you're seven days in to like giving up snack time at two and you're like, I'm so tired and hungry and frustrated. There's a blog for that. Literally, Dave Clayton, our pastor, talked about, man, what to do when you're fasting for maybe food and you just feel out of it and the most non-spiritual that you've ever felt in your life. And you're like, what's the point of this? We have a blog for that. Or maybe you're like, I'm a mom and I'm pregnant. We've got a blog for that. What it looks like to go through prayer and fasting when you're pregnant, okay? So um, shout out, Emily. You're pregnant. I love you. That's so cool. Um, shout out Benson as well. Love him. He's amazing. Great couple. Get to know them. Anyway, so any, what I'm saying is any questions you have, go to ethoschurch.org. Read some of our many blogs that are just going, hey, what is fasting? We've got an ebook. Um, we've got an audio book. All these resources. So if you're sitting here like, I'm not familiar, ethoschurch.org. Okay, it's starting today. Here we go. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter one today. Nehemiah chapter one, right after Ezra. Fun fact, Ezra and Nehemiah is just one book but we divide it into two. Learn that on the Bible Project on YouTube this week. Bible Project, shout out. Man, Bible Project is insane. If you don't know what Bible Project is, anytime you're reading an Old Testament book and you're like, what is going on? I would really encourage you, YouTube, Bible Project, and that book of the Bible. In eight minutes or less, it explains it in a really cool way. All right, we're gonna be in Nehemiah chapter one. That's on page 226 if you're using one of our blue Bibles. And before we get into this scripture, I wanna give you some context for the book that we're getting into, all right? We're gonna read this for the next few weeks. 
And I want to just tell you a little bit about what's going on in Nehemiah, give you a, a very, very brief and general overview of what's taking place at this time, all right? So Nehemiah is an Israelite, all right? He's a cup bearer to the king of Persia, okay? This is important. The Israelites used to be a free nation, all right? This is like way back in the day. But multiple countries have since come and ravaged their land and taken over their land, all right? So the Israelites are no longer their own, okay? So Nehemiah happens to be the cupbearer to the king of Persia, the most powerful empire in that moment, in that day, in the whole world, okay? Now, what a cupbearer is, uh, just to go ahead and just, I want to give you all the context I can before we read this. Uh, a cupbearer was someone who would literally drink something before allowing the king to drink it, okay? And it wasn't just like to get the tasting notes of wine and be like, king, expect some oaky, leafy, I don't know what wine notes even are, so whatever the wine notes would be there, fill in the blank. Um, but it was actually to check if the drinks were poisonous or not, all right? So he'd be like, you know, drink it, hand it off to the king, and I can just see the king like waiting for 30 minutes, like, are you good? Are you feeling any symptoms? You're still alive? Okay, I can sip up. Or maybe he would drop dead. And the king would be like, okay, I can't drink this because my cup bearer is now dead. This drink must have been poisoned. Does that make sense? That's what a cup bearer is. Maybe one of you is a cup bearer already and you're like, Josh, why are you talking about a cup bearer? I already know what that is. I do that for a living, but I doubt it. All right, so anyway... So that's, that's who Nehemiah is, and that's the context we're in, all right? They're in the, the citadel of Susa, the capital city of the Persian Empire. So Nehemiah is a somewhat important guy. He's a servant to the king, Artaxerxes. He's cool. All right, so here we go. Nehemiah is about to receive some news from some of his Israelite brothers, okay? It's pretty crazy. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. I looked up these words. I'm actually pretty sure that's how you say that name, all right? Hakaliah, for real. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, still accurate, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, so basically, Nehemiah is like, how's Jerusalem like the heart of Israel? How's it doing since all of these wars, um, all of our land's been ravaged? And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. All right, so there's this moment, Nehemiah checks in with his homies. Hey, I haven't been to Jerusalem. How's it looking since the war, everything? And they're like, it's really bad. Like the, the, the town's destroyed. Okay, big moment. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah's gonna pray now. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. From there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. 
They are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king, all right? Three things that we're going to talk about today. Cover Nehemiah 1. We're going to dig in a little bit, okay? Um, First, we're going to notice this moment of recognition, okay? There's a moment where Nehemiah is going to recognize the state of Jerusalem, okay? And then we're going to see that Nehemiah is going to move into this moment of repentance, all right? He's going to have this moment of repentance. He's going to recognize some of the travesty, the calamity around him. Then he's going to repent. And then he's going to move into this time of remembrance. He's going to remember some of the promises of God. You're going to see he literally quotes God to God. He's like, God, remember saying this? And God's probably like, of course I do. I'm omnipresent and omniscient, so I know everything. But anyway, so he's going to do that. So it's going to be this time of recognition, of, of repentance, and of remembering. Okay, that's going to be what we're moving through today. So first I want to talk about this moment of recognition. All right, so Nehemiah is in this situation where he's in uh, the citadel of Susa. He's far, he's distant from Jerusalem, and he's going to have some people from his hometown coming in saying, it's really bad. But Nehemiah is somewhat aware, like he, was, he is an Israelite, he understands like a war has happened in the past few hundred years, like a lot of wars have happened, it's not going great, but he's going to have this moment where his reality is sort of like shattered a little bit, okay? And it kind of reminded me, I was thinking this week, man, I was thinking about this, this, uh, this time like five or six years ago with my family, and uh, you know, I have this grandma, her name is Sue Winchester, she made quilts, all right, she's really cool. Anybody have a quilt? I got a quilt. Her name's Macquillan Sue Winchester. She put her initials on my quilt. It's awesome. Anyway, Macquillan Sue Winchester was my grandma, and she was super cool, all right? She was really young for her age. Like, she, when she was 60, me and her would boogie board in the ocean, like, straight up. She couldn't keep up with me, because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at boogie boarding, but, like, she was still pretty solid for a 60-year-old grandma. Well, anyway, um, man, you know, grandma, she came down with just a really tough bout with cancer, and cancer stinks. Anyone know that? Anyone know that cancer is the worst? It's so unpredictable. It's hard, and... Uh, Man, it ended up taking her life. And that was super hard for our family, man, because we were really close to her. And I remember my mom specifically, it was her mom. And I remember my mom taking this just super hard. We all took it hard. I mean, of course we did, right? I don't know what it's like to lose a parent, but watching my mom suffer was really, really hard. But there was this moment where I was in Nashville and she was in Manchester. And so I knew my mom was hurting and that hurt my heart. I didn't like that she was hurting. I knew it was hard, talking on the phone. I love you, I'm supporting you, whatever. But there's only so much you can feel from a distance. You know what I mean? Like, even though it's your own mom, but when you're far away, you're not seeing them, you're not feeling them every day. You're like, you know it hurts, but you're just just not with them as much. And I remember my dad calling me and saying, Joshua, uh, things have kind of gotten serious. Uh, Your mom's pretty depressed, and we're actually going to check her into an institution. She's got to see some help. And uh, it, it was this weird moment where one, my mom was always the it's gonna be okay person, right? Like when I'm crying, I'm freaking out, like she broke up with me, oh my goodness, like it's gonna be okay, right? She was always that place of stability. And so it was a weird moment where I was like, whoa, like man, my mom is like broken. Like this is really hurtful. And it was this time where I like, I knew cognitively, like this is a hard time for our family. Like my mom is hurting. But that phone call let me know whoa, it's, it's actually worse than I thought. And I can no longer sit in Nashville while she's in Manchester and just like pray for her, although that's powerful. I need to be like in the presence of my mom. Does that make sense? Like there's a moment where calamity like kind of just screams at you and goes like, hey, I know you know it's bad, but it's a little worse than you think. And it might actually, it might uh, demand that you leave the place of comfort that you're in and go and like be with the people that are hurting, right? Does that make sense? 
That's kind of the moment I'm feeling here in Nehemiah. Like Nehemiah was an Israelite. So he's not ignorant to what has happened to the Israelites, right? Like he's a servant to the king. There's a reason he's a servant to the king and not just doing his own thing as an Israelite, right? He's enslaved to the Persians. So he knows it's not going well, but there's this moment where Hanani comes in and goes, Nehemiah, I know you know it's bad. It's really bad though. It's worse than what you think. And Nehemiah, he kind of comes to this crossroads because he's living in the palace. Even though he's a servant, he's probably got it pretty decent, like living within the earshot of the king of the greatest empire of the world. But there's this moment where he's like, man, my people are broken. And as as I was reading this, reading this passage, I was just thinking to myself, man, trying to like pull it down. God, what are you saying? How can I, how can I get this to our church? What does this look like? And I, I think I just, it just hit me. Man, we need the Holy Spirit of God to kind of awaken our eyes for the brokenness that is around us. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like for a lot of us, we live in a growing city and I know, I know that a lot of us that we are going through real things that are hurtful, that, that hurt us. But in a lot of ways, a lot of us are somewhat comfortable. We're aware of hurt. We're going through real pain. But some of the brokenness of the church, some of the brokenness in our culture just is not hitting home. Like we are not understanding that some people don't know Jesus. Some people don't know God. Like, Some people don't sense that hope that it's all gonna work out in the end because we know Jesus. You know that? Some people don't know that. There's this moment where I was like, man, I wanted to be Hanani. I wanted to be the guy that came in and said, hey guys, wake up, wake up. But I realized I don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit needs to do that. Like we need God in the name of Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit to come in and go, your hearts need to be broken. There is brokenness everywhere. You know it's bad. I mean, one scroll on Twitter, CNN, or Fox News, and you understand the calamity and the toxicity that exists in our culture. No one has surprising you when we go, hey, our culture's not doing so hot right now. But I think we need to understand some of the gravity that we're in, the spiritual darkness that we're in, the spiritual brokenness that we're in. Some of us are aware of it, but I just sense like, man, the Holy Spirit needs to come in and go, hey, it's really bad though. I know you know, but like some of these people, some of our culture, some of the people in our, and right in our midst in Nashville are absolutely hopeless. And like they need hope. The walls are down. Like the gates have been burnt up. It's not going great. And this moment hits Nehemiah where he's in this place of comfort, maybe like some of us are in. And he has this choice to make. Am I gonna let the news of people being broken around me have me go just cry in the palace for a couple weeks, feel bad about it, and then just stay with the king? Or am I gonna go before God and is he gonna transform my life? Am I gonna enter into something, enter into something deeper, okay? So I wanna see how you respond. So we have this moment of recognition and I want you to see his next reaction. You get into verse four and read on and he begins praying to God, all right? So I don't know about you, but when someone comes to me and goes, hey, here's the problem. The walls are down and the gates are burnt up, all right? What are you gonna do? What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get 100 people in my squad, my strongest friends, and go, let's go to Home Depot. I show up at Home Depot, I need some wood. Apparently some walls fell down. What's the best wood for building up walls? Because I need a lot of it. I got a U-Haul, let's stack it up, all right. And then I'm gonna go to the gate store, and because I need a good gate, because they got burnt down. I'm gonna be like, hey, I checked the Google reviews. I hear you guys make great gates. I need like two of them because my gates are down. You know what I'm saying? That's my reaction. When I got it, man, I really thought that would go over better. <laughs> 
Anyway, the Gates store, those don't exist. Anyway, um, anyway, but my reaction to an outer problem, right, is fixing the outer problem. Like, if the wall's down, all right, let's build a wall. Is the wall a problem? Like, Jerusalem's walls are down, the city's defenseless, let's build up the defenses. But this is amazing. Nehemiah had this, like, deep understanding that instead of immediately looking at the outside problems, there was a spiritual condition that needed to be addressed. He immediately moves into this place of repentance, understanding there's a correlation between the disobedience and the cold-heartedness of the people of Israel and the current circumstance they found themselves in. It's fascinating. So just to give you a quick hit on, on like kind of the history of Israel, and I'm not gonna do it justice, and it's gonna go really fast. Basically, Israel used to be led by God. And then by their own demands, they got a king instead. The Israelites chose that. And God said, they're not doing it, to the, uh, they're doing that to me. He basically talked to this guy named Samuel. Samuel was like, God, they're asking for a human king instead of you. And God's like, let them have what they're asking for. And they begin serving man, basically. And as we all understand, humans mess a lot of things up. The kings are unrighteous. Israel splits into two, northern and southern, makes them more susceptible to the enemy. The enemies ravage their lands. Now they're in exile. Does that make sense? Is that a very quick description? Okay. And Nehemiah was the first to go. Our problem is not me going to God and going, God, what happened to our wall? Our problem was first and foremost, our relationship with God turning cold us turning our hearts, us begin turning to false idols, us worshiping other gods. Like, that's our issue. We get that right first, let's talk about the wall after that. And I think for us, in our culture especially now, we have really just a hard time taking responsibility in a healthy fashion. It's like we want no responsibility or like the unhealthiest responsibility where everything's our fault. But I think there's this moment for our church to look around and go, God, I see all these things and I could point my finger about the people on the right or the left or the people in this or that and I could point while they're wrong, they're ignorant, they're absurd. Or my first step of action could be, God, how is my heart? Like, what have I done to walk away from you? How is the church functioning? Because there's this moment where I realized this week where a church in America, the church, right, the institution, the, the body of believers that is designed, that is created by God himself to represent the love, the grace, the charity, the friendship, the kindness, the generosity of the living God in a free country, and this is what we're looking at. Like, this is what we're dealing with in our culture. There is still so much brokenness and unbelief, and the church is known to be things that Jesus never intended, and I'm like, if that's the case, then when we look out there and we see calamity, we've gotta be really careful before we start pointing fingers. It seems like people of God, like Nehemiah, understood that before we can point out the problems out there, man, we got to start with our own hearts. Like heart check time. Like time to repent. Time to go before God. You know, we talked a few weeks in Matthew. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And I just had this moment this week where I'm like, man, I think the church ethos, Hillsborough Village, man, God, we need to repent a little bit. Um, and not in like this guilt-ridden, hopeless way, like he promises like perfection in Jesus. He's perfect. We don't have to be. We'll meet grace. But it starts with going, hey, I'm sorry. 
You said seek first the kingdom of God. I sought first the kingdom of friendship. I sought first the kingdom of lust, of sex, of money, of marriage, of family, of relationships, of greed, of pride, of arrogance. Like I sought first my own kingdoms. And honestly, this is kind of the result when the people of God seek first the kingdom of something other than God. Like not everything's gonna be perfect if we do this thing just right. There's still gonna be sin and brokenness. But I believe God wants to use the church of Jesus to really impact the city of Nashville. And if that's going to happen, we have to have this moment where we kind of look in the mirror and go, God, there's some things I need to bring before you and repent of. Like that's step number one. And it doesn't end here. This is the good news, right? Because this is kind of like that harsh moment. Like, you know, this is a hard thing to hear. Like, oh man, I'm not perfect. And we know that, but it kind of stinks to know that God is perfect and we need to confess some sin. But here's what I love. Repentance never ends in despair. Like the long story of coming before God and confessing sin and going, here's some ways that I've been dark. Like I've had a dark heart. I've been rebellious. I've been disobedient. Or I've just been apathetic. I don't hate you, but I don't love you. Like that's just where it's at. But it never ends there. I want us to see this, this third point. He moves from recognizing to repenting. And then there's this moment of remembering. Okay, he's gonna move into this moment of remembering. And there's two things I wanna note about what I want us to remember about Nehemiah's prayer. All right, and we're gonna look at it specifically in a little bit. First, I want us to remember who it is that's praying. I wanna think about Nehemiah for a second. And then two, I want us to remember what Nehemiah is praying. So who, ne- who is praying and then what that person is praying, all right? So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, right? He's within an earshot of the most powerful king in all the world. And I love this about God because the Israelites are in a pretty tough spot, right? Like. They're not doing too hot. Jerusalem's in bad shape. The people are are just in disarray. It's not going so good. And yet look who is in perfect position to help the people of Israel. I'm gonna give you a spoiler, okay? I'm about to ruin Nehemiah for you. You're gonna hate the next few weeks. I'm gonna ruin the ending right now. Again, gosh, I'm not, anyway, you're not gonna hate it. It's gonna be great. Anyway, so Nehemiah is going to eventually stand before the king and request that not only can he go to Jerusalem, but that the king will front the money to rebuild Jerusalem, all right? This is an absurd request. But because Nehemiah has built up this place of trust with the king, Nehemiah is not even gonna initiate the conversation. The king's gonna go, Nehemiah, you look sad. What's on your mind? I don't know how kings worked back then. I just have a feeling they were not often worried about the emotional well-being of their servants. I gut feeling there, Okay. But Nehemiah is so perfectly positioned by God. And, my God, and I was blown away by how God is so brilliant and strategic with how he places his people that when things are at their darkest, when you're just convinced it's, it's the most hopeless, worthless, it's not gonna work out situation, God is like, if you'll chill and turn your heart to me, I've got people where I need them, just say go. Like, just turn to me, I got them locked down. This is so true in the history of the Old Testament. Like straight up, there's this guy named Joseph in Genesis. His brothers sell him out a slave, crazy, like just cold-blooded betrayal from your brothers. And he goes and he's shipped off to Egypt. He's an Israelite, he's a slave in Egypt, looks hopeless. Joseph, because he has these crazy gifts from God, can interpret dreams, basically moves up the ranks. And the Pharaoh of Egypt goes, I don't know who this dude is, but he hears from God and he gives him equal power. A famine hits the land. The Israelites, the same people that sold Joseph a slave, have no food. Egypt has a ton of food because God told Joseph the famine was coming. The Israelites come back to Egypt. Guess who they meet to ask for food? Who is it? Joseph, right? God's like, I got this. When things look hopeless, you don't got food. The person that you betrayed, I put them in the position to restore Israel again, right? Moses, 
the famous dude, you know, that parts the water, all the, all the people follow him and the water walls and it must've looked crazy. Prince of Egypt, have you seen it? It's a great film. I recommend it highly. Moses, he was the guy that was raised in the court of Pharaoh. He was raised by the Egyptian powers, just so happened to be, but he's an Israelite. He leaves, God calls him to go back. Hey, you know Egypt, you know where to go, you know exactly where Pharaoh is. Go back to Pharaoh, get your people, get my people, whoops, get God's people, take them back, take them out of Egypt, out of slavery. It's like, it just blows me away. There's more stories like that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, those were the perfect people to set on fire. They didn't burn up at all. They just had Jesus with them in the furnace. Y'all remember that story? Like God has forever, when things look like they're at their worst, he has positioned people, please hear this, in the perfect spot, He is always ready to bring about redemption and deliverance to his people if we would only turn our heart and our eyes upon God. And I started thinking about our campus here. I have conversations with so many of you and all of you are freaking brilliant. It's blowing my mind. You're all like entrepreneurs, foreign missions, nurses, doctors, musicians, in-betweeners, can't figure it out yet, but I can tell you're a genius. Like, you know, all of you guys are so gifted and I'm like, God, in a city like Nashville, you cannot convince me that you're not up to the same strategy as, as you were in Nehemiah. Like you're up to the same stuff. You guys are in perfect, we are in perfect position. God has perfectly positioned us that if we will turn our gaze upon the Lord as a people, like he has us in spots where we will see the goodness of God, the kingdom of heaven break through. I totally 100% believe that, that the place that God has positioned you, the story of Nehemiah is the faith and obedience of one person can turn this whole thing around. The faith and obedience of one person and I'm like, well, we got like 150. That get pretty crazy up in here. Nehemiah's just one guy. What do you got to do with 150 if that's your squad, if we're rolling that deep? Let's see what happens, right? I believe that. I hope you're encouraged right now. My goodness, God is so smart and good and strategic, and I love it. All right, let's, thank you, James. Uh, let's look at, uh, let's look at, yeah, I know that's my man. Um, hey, verse nine, chapter one, let's look at this. I want, we looked at who is praying Nehemiah, God being strategic and specific. Now let's look at verse nine, what he's praying. He's praying God's words back to God, genius. But if you return to me, God says, and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. The promise of God, if the people of God will come together and seek his face, he will cause his name to dwell there. His presence will be with those people. This is the hope summed up of fast forward. Like, not even meaning to tie that bow just then, but like, that's the hope. Like, the hope is that the people of God will come together and seek his face and that we will experience the living, active presence of God that I believe is already with us. I think what will happen is God will give us ears and eyes and a heart to receive and see and be aware of God and what he's doing. But this is the hope of what we do here. I cannot say it enough. The hope here is not for me to give you a clean, tight, beautiful sermon or to make you laugh a certain amount of times. Like the hope of worship is not to put on a good production where you're like, man, they were really on point today. Like the hope of church, the hope of fast forward specifically is that we would come together in the presence of God and be in the presence of God. Does that make sense? That's what I think is at the table for us. And that's why every single week, When I get up here and I'm excited and I'm talking about how, man, we want the church to be a place of participation. The last thing I want is just to feed you a sermon and you to leave and go, that was good or that was bad, right? I think God is inviting us to participate. 
And I think there's something for each of us to discover in the presence of the Lord. So I want to give us a few questions, leaving this teaching, helping us process. We're going to put three questions on the screen that I want us to think about. And we're going to take five minutes to reflect individually. And then we're going to do this thing that you don't have to do. All right. You can put your head down and pray or fake pray to get out of it. You know, but if you're willing to do this, we're going to circle up chairs and we're going to talk about, hey, you had those questions, you reflected, what's God putting on your heart right now? Um, what, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What do you want to talk about? So here are the three questions, all right? One, how is God inviting you to respond to the brokenness around you? Or maybe even just recognize the brokenness around you. Maybe some of us are like, I don't know, I'm pretty good with my life. I'm pretty oblivious to the brokenness. Or maybe I'm so aware of the brokenness that being apathetic is my route. Like I don't need to feel anything because there's too much of it. But how in in the context of Nehemiah might God be inviting you to recognize or respond to the brokenness around you? Secondly, what area in your life is God inviting you into confession and repentance? I believe that confession and repentance is never supposed to be a time of shame and I can't believe what I did. It's supposed to be a time filled with hope where the promise of the grace of Jesus is on the other end of confession and repentance. Like, Jesus is so eager. He was so eager to forgive you, he came to earth and died for you. Like, that's the promise of repentance. And I think sometimes we can have a broken view of that, where repentance is all about you just being so terrible. But it's, it's like, no, but Jesus is so good, though. Like, he always meets you there and, like, hugs you, like, straight up. That's what he does. He loves you, all right? So maybe it's a good time to just have a healthy time of confession and repentance. Or what do you need to remember about the hope of God and his promises? Man, this week, I think I've realized the power in my words Words are so powerful. I'm always talking about how busy I am, how full my calendar is, how overwhelmed I am. And I realize that when I just talk about being overwhelmed, you know how I feel? Overwhelmed. It's crazy how that works. Like, it really is. I'm busy. How do I feel? I feel busy. I'm tired. How do I feel? I feel tired. Like, and words are so powerful. And I think this this question just like brings to mind, man, speak the hope and the promises of God over your life. Like, testify to the good things that God has promised us specifically in this, that he will dwell with us if we will gather uh, in his name. So those are three questions. We're going to play some just smooth music. All right. Hopefully you get to feel and think and pray for about five minutes. I'll come back up and dismiss us into community. Again, you're never obligated to, you don't have to. um, But I do want to leave you the option to make this your living room. If you need to go outside, lay down, stand up, make this your spot. All right. This is your shot. Connect with the Lord. Okay. All right. We're going to play some music. I'll come back up here in about five.